Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me today is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by the Barnburner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. Your College Hooper of the Week this week is Kashmir Wright. You remember Kashmir Wright? Former University of Cincinnati Bearcats guard and owner of arguably the greatest name in college hoops that we've seen. Kashmir Wright. Uh, just... It rolls off the tongue beautifully. It's the perfect name for for a guard at the, co- the collegiate level. Doesn't necessarily mesh with Mick Cronin's gritty style, but Kashmir Wright, that's your college hooper of the week. Check out the website at thebarnburner.com. That's the-barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB Theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is. And make sure to follow Taylor at TaylorDamel. And the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains and set the table, baby. It's Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving to you and yours. Uh, the the national day for everyone coming home, getting drunk with their hometown friends, going to the local bar, seeing a couple townies. That's always what the Wednesday before Thanksgiving is like. How are you spending your Wednesday before Thanksgiving? Um, it's super exciting. Uh, I'm prepping my house for my painters to come over today. Um, and then I'm going to go play some golf. But, you know, I've never... I think I've only been able to do the hometown Thanksgiving go out on a Wednesday night thing like one time because I never went back home for Thanksgiving over the course of like college and even now. So uh, I'm not sure we're going to be doing anything tonight other than just uh, kicking back and watching some college basketball, which is totally fine with me. Uh, The beverage center at the new house has been set up and 
stocked. So I'm more than good to go. What's the, uh, what's the plan over there for you? Just beers and food. We actually might get Indian food tonight. And, you know, if you're listening to this, it will be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, of course, but we might get Indian food tonight. Obviously a lot of prep work, manual labor is going to have to go in tomorrow and just people please keep in mind on Thanksgiving you got to put in some sort of effort and help somewhere. But if you're able to marry that with the least amount of effort, right? Like take out the garbage. I can do that. You got to be able to throw yourself into that type of situation. Identify that the garbage is stacking up because you don't want to be the guy carving the turkey. I can't carve a turkey and I, I don't care if you think that makes me, you know, quote unquote, beta male, whatever it is. I, I can't carve a turkey. Uh, I don't want to clean the floors, right? I'll, I'll take out the trash. I'll come back in and I'll continue to watch some football. Tim Boyle. Is it Tim Boyle or is Goff playing, by the way? I think it's TV 12. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes, of course. The original TV 12, right? So Tim Boyle versus Andy Dalton. What a disaster that's going to be. But we're going to be around family, friends. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a, a wonderful weekend. But you know what? I bring up Tim Boyle and Andy Dalton because great friend of the program, Alec White, had a take that I wholeheartedly agree with. I don't know. Did you see this? I did not. But he said, and of course, every single time we come around the holidays, it's what's your most controversial take about stuffing or mashed potatoes. And everyone wants to get into discussions about sides and turkey sucks, which, you know, there's room for improvement with turkey. I'm not going to say it sucks. We can sub it out, I guess, for some fillets or maybe some prime rib. Whole another discussion. But Alec White said, feast week, is better than football on NFL Thursdays. What are your thoughts on that? Wow. Without even having this discussion, this is something I wanted to bring up and having not seen the tweet even. Um, it's, it's a little unfair to say that a week is better than a day, though, because that's just, you know, obviously we're going to have more games across a week than a day. But I was having that, that thought, and I was going to ask you that. I would say I still enjoy Thanksgiving football, just as from a traditional standpoint, um, maybe it's because I get to see the Packers play the Lions every what seems to be like third or fourth year on Thanksgiving. Uh, so most fan bases don't necessarily get uh, a, a fairly regular Thanksgiving Day game. Um, and the other thing that has that Feast Week has become is it very much just used to be Wednesday through saturday or thursday through sunday when we got these preseason college basketball tournaments especially like 20 years ago now these things stretch out for like 10 days so uh, or feast week is like a almost a two-week situation so i think it's a little unfair to say that feast week is better than thanksgiving day football the other thing i was going to bring up though is a, is a third wild card in this situation we've got all the rivalry college football games this weekend too Michigan, Ohio State, you know, for us, it's Arizona ASU. Who cares? But, you know, on Friday is traditionally a big rivalry for college football. Does that make some noise for you in in this uh, debate here? I will say it does. I also think you need matchups like you have in the Big 12 and the Big 10 where playoff spots are on the line. You got Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, Bedlam. Those are two, I think, Oklahoma's nine or Oklahoma State's nine and uh, Oklahoma's 11 or 12, something along those lines. And then Michigan, Ohio state is playing for that for the, you know, for, for the most part, they're, they're playing for that 
that that playoff spot. Of course, they have to play in the Big Ten title game, but what a, what a dick punch that would be to Michigan. I, I, I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to beat Ohio State, but how perfect would it be if Harbaugh gets over that hump against the Buckeyes and then somehow loses in the Big Ten title game? That would be very Michigan. I it's feel very like. Michigan. Yeah, 100%. So you're right, though. There There is a lot of great college football, and I'm just being a hardo. I'm, I'm definitely being one of those guys that's like, please like my sport. Please like my sport with college basketball. And there's a ton of, of improvement that needs to be done in terms of scheduling. That's a horse that we have beaten into submission. Only college basketball. Only college basketball. Can you schedule a Final Four rematch? And I've said this a million times. It was probably the best game I've ever seen, college basketball game I've ever seen between UCLA and Gonzaga in the Final Four. Only college basketball do you schedule that at 10 p.m. Eastern on a Tuesday where they're both ranked number one and two. Now, of course, we stayed up for it. It wasn't that great of a game, and we're going to dive into it here shortly. But for the love of God, man, can you imagine Alabama-Georgia on, like, Friday night? I know it's the SEC on CBS. I get that. Fine. But this is supposed to be the brand. And we always say, hey, sports writers, you you need to stay up. This is your job, which I still stand by. But it's tough pushing this to a a casual guy who probably says, well, I don't care about college basketball until probably after Valentine's Day. Well, they've done that twice now. Both top five matchups that UCLA has played this year are have been at like 11 Eastern, 10 Eastern, or later. Um, look at the uh, Michigan game from this last week when they played UNLV in the first round of the Roman main event. It didn't tip until 107 Eastern AM in Ann Arbor. That's it's stupid. I, there's a lot of words that I could use that are no longer politically correct to, to, to describe that, but it doesn't make any sense why you would put, and they were the number four ranked team in the country at the time. And actually that's something I want to bring up about feast week as it relates to what's, what's more entertaining. Part of the reason it's entertaining is part of the reason that it's not, if that makes sense. There's so many variables within these tournaments. Uh, like the Maui Invitational Championship game today is Wisconsin versus St. Mary's. Should be a good college basketball matchup, right? But that's not going to, it's not moving the needle for your average casual fan. Like, really, the best game of this whole week that's happening during uh, these th- preseason Thanksgiving tournaments is not even a part of a tournament. It's Duke Gonzaga on Friday. And that's just a, it's kind of a one-off event. So that's the problem as it relates to Feast Week. Like, we love it, the variables. Like, yeah, St. Mary's, who's a good basketball team, making it to the championship game of this event. That's great. But you might get, like, a VCU-Texas Tech final. And, again, we would love that, but nobody else, like, nationally would give a shit. Whereas, like, the NFL, everybody loves the NFL, even if it's Lions-Bears, which is going to be an awful matchup. But at least we get the awful matchup early where we can take out the trash and do our prep work in the first half of that game to make it look like we put that effort in and then hopefully be able to coast through the rest of the day. That's a great point. Now, actually, before we dive into our Gonzaga UCLA recap, this is actually a Thanksgiving question that I don't think it's enough play that I think there's legitimate discourse on. I'm firmly on one side of it. What time do you eat? Ooh. Uh, turkey and stuff. Not, not apps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What time, um, what time is the turkey? four-ish i would say um you know i've done a couple years where it was a little later because we had to wait for people to get into town um this year for us it's going to be a little later because we're going about 50 miles south of of phoenix and there are some 
family members that aren't flying in till the morning. So we're probably not heading down to the location until about noon, maybe 11. Um, so ideally between football games, right? <laughs> so <laughs> if it was up to me, I would just be completely at, uh, you know, at mercy of the cadence of the sports schedule that day, but it's not up to me. What, I mean, I don't understand the people that eat it like two though. That's the, that's the people I don't understand personally. So look, I'm visiting, right. And it's not up to me when you're visiting. I'm eating at like two. I, I I'm with you, man. I'm definitely, a, a, it's dinner time for me, right? Maybe a little earlier Four is four. It's airing on a little early for me, but it's certainly closer to dinner time. That's my opinion on it. That's how I grew up. It's like five thirty six PM. Like this is dinner. And I think it, I don't know, maybe my mom has a procrastination problem. She, she usually does, but it gives her the entire day to cook, do whatever she wants. Um, so I'm, I'm firmly on the later in the evening, uh, part of it. So, uh, I think that's a dis- discussion though, that a lot of people in this country needs to, needs to really dive into. Okay? Here's, what, here's what I don't understand about two. Okay. Let's, I do, let's dive into this right now. So I've barely digested the brunch part of the day that we had leading up to this by two at least four gives you a couple extra hours to say hey we're going to eat in a few hours maybe i'll uh dial back my consumption of food two i just feel like you have to eat i know leftovers are like the best part of thanksgiving but you're eating leftovers at like dinner time seven eight o'clock rolls around second half of the last nfl game of the day you got to eat again yeah i'm 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 not sure about two because then you, yeah, it's it, it cuts and it cuts down on like your outdoor activities if you play like a traditional family football game or something like that's just got to happen at like nine then or eight it's yeah. like a, that's like a big 10 kickoff for your for your foot <laughs> i mean it right. gets it gets dark at like 4 30 here on the east coast now right. so. Spe- speaking of that michigan ohio state game is like the early game of, mm. of the day which is just wild to me because i'm like shit i gotta like get up and get active and get to where i'm gonna be so i can uh settle in for that game well i will actually be at my cousin's wedding in new york so i don't know if i'll have eyes but currently in ohio and i'll tell you this much i don't think these people are very concerned about the michigan game which is a little surprising to me i think they're what seven point favorites seven and a half point favorites but from from talking to every buckeye that i know i don't think they're terribly concerned about going on the road Okay, hold on. Not to continue to not talk about college basketball here, but a Thanksgiving weekend wedding. Look, they're that's, Indian. that's like wild. They, that's wild to me. They don't care about football. They don't care about Thanksgiving, really. It's on Saturday, so I can't really say that it's on Thursday. I, I can appreciate what you're saying. Maybe because maybe their thought process is everyone's going to be with family regardless. So sure. let's just all be together, which I can appreciate. Uh, I mean, look, I'm not terribly thrilled about it, but I got I got a show face here. Look, family over everything. I, Dom Toretto. All right. Family. Uh, family. And, family. and the Morris twins. Yes. And the Morris twins. Yes, <laughs> yes. of course. All right. All, all, all people who are big on family. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's go ahead and dive in now to Zags UCLA. Just an ambush from Gonzaga. I think this one was over within the first 10 minutes of the game, Gonzaga just completely demolished them. They came out the gates and smacked them directly in the face. A few news and notes, and then we'll dive into it here, Taylor. This was Chet Holmgren's coming out party. Okay, I've been in everyone in college basketball circles, 
even NBA circles have said, this guy is going to be the number one overall pick. If not two, I think worst case scenario, three. And we're going to see two guys vying for that top spot, that top draft spot between him and Paolo Bancaro on Friday. But this was Chet Holmgren's coming out party. And I, I think I, in, in, in deep corners of Big 12 Twitter, Fran Fraschilla, someone else might have said, well, he didn't really play well against Texas. And I was like, this was his first top five matchup. And we're, we're basing potentially how he's going to perform the rest of the season. Stop it. He didn't play that well. I mean, obviously it was the Drew Timmy show. I think Drew had a, a career high 37 against Texas. This was just basically not Vesuvius exploding, though. Chet Holmgren showed everything that he's capable of doing and dominated the game. Altered shots, block shots, made some nifty moves at the top of the key, right? If you haven't seen it yet, go look up the YouTube video where he absolutely cooks Steph Curry uh, from a couple years ago at Steph Curry's camp. Chet Holmgren was doing absolutely everything, and he's the real deal. In addition to him, obviously, Drew Timmy, did his thing. I, I think he had like 15 points or 18 points and eight rebounds. He was dominant. Andrew Nemhard. This is how you know you're an absolute wagon. Nobody's talking about Andrew Nemhard, and he could potentially be the best point guard in the entire country. He was facilitating. He was running the show. It was just a virtuoso performance, really, against a team where I'm sure Gonzaga heard it a lot. This is the number two team. They're out for revenge. They're out for blood. And Gonzaga put a stop to that I'm telling you, after the second TV timeout in the entire game, it was just a dominating performance. It, it took me basically I, – I watched the end of the Cincinnati-Arkansas game uh, over the start of the second half of, of Zags-UCLA. Taylor, what were some of your takeaways from this West Coast matchup? You know, pretty much everything that you just said. I guess the surprising thing to me, um, usually when you see a blowout like this uh, – you see a lot of fouls or a lot of turnovers, things of that nature. UCLA only turned the ball over eight times in this. And that's, I mean, that's a great number. If you looked at that and told me just that specific stat prior to the game, you'd be like, oh, must, you know, they must have been a close game. UCLA probably wins that game. They just didn't shoot the ball very well. Uh, but a lot of that has to do with what you just said. And that is, you know, shots affected uh, by Gonzaga defenders. Yeah. I mean, if you look at just the box scores, Gonzaga specifically did not do anything poorly. They shot over 50% from the field. They shot 40% from three, 80% from the free throw line, out-rebended UCLA, uh, probably could have had a few more assists, but they did have five more turnovers even than uh, UCLA did. So from a numbers standpoint, right, uh, you wouldn't say that it would have been maybe that big of a blowout until you look at the fact that UCLA just couldn't shoot at all. I, I don't know if it says much about UCLA. They have played a number of big games already this year, as we've seen. Uh, but I, what I think it says more than anything else is uh, Gonzaga really is that wagon that we thought they were going to be. Uh, they might be, I was questioning whether they were going to be as good as they were last year. I Obviously it was clear that they were going to be the number one team in the country and the best team in the country regardless. Um, but to see Chet Holmgren, and like you said, his effect on the game didn't necessarily show up statistically. Uh, you know, he had, yeah, he had a good game statistically, but yeah, watching the game and, and just seeing the number of, uh, you know, shots that he affected, how he flows through the offense. Like you said, the nifty moves he had, um, it was really impressive, especially for a guy that makes me look 
absolutely yoked. So that's my that was another takeaway. Not that we haven't watched him, but to to watch him play against like sized individuals, uh, it makes him look just absolutely even more tiny. Like he makes he might make bowl bowl look thick actually. But uh, yeah, I mean impressive performance. He's definitely one of those guys who's who's certainly stronger than you'll give him credit for. Because I forget who it was, and and let's let's be honest here. Cody Riley wasn't playing for UCLA, and I think that's a big deal, but not a big enough deal to overcome a consistent twenty point deficit, which is what UCLA was facing. So whomever Cody Riley's backup was, and I, I I'm, I'm blanking on his name. It's, it's and and Miles Johnson is the starter, so it's not him. But they they had their second string center going up against Chet during this one possession, and he lowered his shoulder. Moved Chet a little bit, but Chet just completely swallowed up his shot. He's just a dominant presence, and I think we're going to see more and more of that as the season goes on. I said in last week's episode, Jaime Jaquez and Johnny Juzang are going to be vying for Pac-12 Player of the Year, like teammates going for that award. The West Coast Conference, it's similar. Gonzaga is going to have Drew Timmy and Chet Holmgren, in my opinion. Shit, maybe even Andrew Nemhard could sneak his way in there. That's how loaded this this team really is. And I think what we're seeing, Taylor, is a tier system, a real tier system. There's Gonzaga, clear-cut best team in the country. I never really thought UCLA was the second best team in the country, but they're no slouches. They're very good. And I don't want people to start drawing conclusions about UCLA because they lost to an absolute wagon. Remember, they beat Villanova at home. But what I think the key crucial component is alliteration for you. You cannot start slow against Gonzaga. You have to play a great 40 minutes Every single second. Juzang started off a little slow. Hawkins started off a little slow. That first four minutes, and then it started to snowball. And then, like I said, after the second TV timeout, game's pretty much over. I, it is so incredibly difficult to play against the Zags team if you are not on every millisecond of the basketball game. UCLA started slow. It was pretty much a wrap. Yeah, I think it was 33-9 to nine at one point. I, I think it was something oh, like that. Yeah. Yeah, close. Yeah, I, it definitely wasn't what I was expecting. I personally bet on UCLA plus seven. I figured it would be a, a close matchup, but clearly I was wrong. Uh, and here's one thing I'll say about Gonzaga, and not to already move on from this game, but really, I mean, there's not much to say about it other than it was a dominating performance. Um, I am been the number one proponent of Gonzaga playing the Sisters of the Poor in the West Coast Conference for years and having no real competition, you know, play your four good games in the out of conference and coasting through the rest of the season. And that's not necessarily true this year. BYU is good. St. Mary's is good. Uh, Santa Clara, also decent squad, San Francisco, decent squad. So they're, they have three surefire tournament teams, like surefire tournament teams in St. Mary's, BYU and Gonzaga. And there's probably going to be one other team vying for the tournament. That's not good news for the rest of the country in my opinion, because that means Gonzaga is going to be, they can't coast through the whole year. So even if this Gonzaga team loses twice this year, that still might be better for them than, you know, their undefeated or almost undefeated season last year. Well, an additional layer layer to that is a lot of us have knocked their out of conference schedule in the past as well. The, the, the knock on Gonzaga is, well, come tournament time, they're going to have to play power teams. And considering the fact that they've been in two 
of the last four NCAA title games, they do just fine against power teams. Maybe they don't beat them in the title game, sure, but I'm not. I think it's silly to call them bums or frauds or or weak, whatever you want to call it. Right? They've shown that they can beat power teams, just not on that last Monday, which is the most important, and that's what Few has to figure out. Totally understand that, and a lot of people will say, "Well, you know what? They needed more." more of those games during the regular season. It's not just enough to go through it during the postseason, right? So you talked about the in-conference schedule. I don't think we've seen a Gonzaga team schedule Texas, right? Followed up by UCLA, now followed up by Duke. If they can if they can get past Duke, I'm ready to anoint them the number one overall seed, right? Not, not, not to say that, you know, if they play 500 ball the rest of the way, they deserve it or anything. I'm saying if they beat Duke, you just have to hold serve essentially and just do whatever you do. You're going to get the number one overall seed, in my opinion. And I think that's the the path Gonzaga is heading down. Yeah, their other big out of conference games coming up are uh, against Alabama, and that's I think Alabama. Holy shit! That's week after next. That's December fourth. Uh, the battle in Seattle there, and then uh, they got Texas Tech uh, in mid December as well. Which again, not a not a highly ranked team but they are undefeated right now. And they're, as we've previously talked about on this program, a decent squad that's here in Phoenix, actually that Gonzaga Texas tech game. Uh, so uh, very big games coming up or good tests for them. Uh, very interesting as well, that these games are at uh, neutral sites, which I, I don't know. Well, I don't know if that's, camera, right? it, is it? Uh, I, I thought it, I thought it was like a, a an event game. I could be wrong. Let me look. Yeah. Why don't, why don't you take a look at that? But at the very least, and you know what? We've been watching this sport long enough to know that there's absolutely no point in making huge claims in terms of who's going to win the title. There's too much shit that can happen. Injuries, unfortunately. Player suspensions, maybe. A team gets hot and picks you off on a random uh, tournament game. So I'm not going to say that Gonzaga is absolutely going to win the national title, but you cannot say that they won't be battle tested. This is the one year as opposed to the others that they will absolutely be battle tested entering the NCAA tournament. Were you able to pick that up? Yeah. So it's in Vegas, which is pretty much the only place they play college basketball now from what I've gathered. (laughs) Vegas has a ton of event centers. Also, it feels like it's yeah. But for some reason, every game is still at the T-Mobile center. Like every college basketball team will have played at the T-Mobile arena before the end of the year this year, it seems like. So, yeah. Yeah. Do you think it was in Cameron though? Do you think it matters? Uh, I mean, it has to, right? It's it's kind of the Coach K philosophy that they play all their big games um, at neutral sites. Do you think uh, that when it comes tournament time, that makes teams more comfortable, or do you think it just really doesn't matter at all? I think it matters a little bit, but you gotta you gotta take into account that teams are going to be completely different come late March, or I shouldn't say late March, excuse me, late February, which is when you want to start rolling, versus what they are right now. Okay, we've seen teams flounder. We've te- we've seen teams go on a run. So I don't know how much experience they're going to be able to draw from playing in neutral sites. I think it's more the experience of playing against good teams. Now, no matter where you're playing that game, I don't know if that matters a ton, especially here in the early stages. So we'll see how how that unfolds, though. But get your popcorn ready for Duke and, and Gonzaga. That's going to be a lot of fun. How, how about – hold on one second there. How about – 
I, I kind of just mentioned it, but how about Coach K coming west of the Mississippi just for any reason? I mean, when was I'd have to look it up, but uh, I'm sure someone around, man. I think he just wanted to get another gift or get some love from the West Coast people. Yeah, uh, I just I can't think of the last time that they would have played out out west in a in an event. Maybe I'm you know Maui Invitational with you know is a whole different situation, but uh, Maui Invitational, which is also in Vegas. Vegas, yeah, yeah right. I mean, uh, it's interesting, right? So the east of the Mississippi, your power teams, the the place you play for big time neutral site games is Madison Square Garden. West of it, pretty much Vegas. Yeah, I mean, I I'm all for it. I think what a what a blast! And obviously, as Pac-12 fans, we get the opportunity to go there for the Pac-12 tournament every year. Um, uh, Gonzaga will straight up play like probably six games in Vegas this year, then because that's where the West Coast Conference tournament is as well. If, if you're a Zags fan, that's got to be pretty sweet. You have so yeah. many opportunities to go to Vegas and and catch your team. So well, and Spokane, not exactly the. The, bright, the brightest, warmest place in the country in November through March. So yeah, big, big All time. Out a little bit, Zags fans. Go enjoy yourself at the craps table. Enjoy. Uh, so yeah, that was an absolute dismantling from Gonzaga. They thoroughly manhandled UCLA. A few other news and notes from that game. How great was it to see Dick Vitale? I'll be honest. I'll be the first to say we're not the biggest Diggy V fans in the entire universe, but that's never going to drive us to wish such uh a terrible thing is cancer on Vitale, and we hope for the the biggest recovery. And it was just great seeing him on the call, whether we like it or not, he is college basketball. But him opening the broadcast in tears, genuine tears, right? We knew those weren't fake or, or done up for the camera. I think he was legitimately thrilled and elated and overcome with emotion to be in that seat that he's occupied for the past 40 or so years. Wonderful to see Dick Vitale back calling uh, a game of that magnitude. Dick Vitale, and I say this in the best way possible, is one of those guys you just love to hate in a way. But your life as a college basketball fan is just not the same without him. So as much as you you and I like disagree with him, especially of what we've had to deal with with him over the last like five years or so, he still is a vital, a vital part mm. of the college basketball mm. world. So, yes, thank, thank you. Uh, that was on the, off the cuff, too. Um, he is still a big part of the college basketball world. And, you know, unfortunately, everybody's time comes where they have to retire uh, in, in one way, shape or form, whether it's how they want to go out or not. Um, if if Dick Vitale does continue through the year, that's that's great. Good for him. If, if this is maybe the last time we see him on air doing a game, at least he got to do a, one more big time matchup on, you know, and kind of go out at least a little bit on, on a high note rather than fading away. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Let's pivot real quick. Last topic on this game to a less serious topic. More funny, actually. Did you hear Nick Cronin, Mick Cronin's soundbite post game? No, I did not. <laughs> so this is what I love about Mick. He's not going to fall back into the trap of resting on your laurels from last year. Okay. So the, a media member asked him, Hey, Mick, um, is it true some of your players were feeling a little bit under the weather? Could that have contributed to it? And Mick just responds with, um, No, they just had a, they just, they just had the sniffles. They had the sniffles and it contributed to our general softness. That's the term he used. So Mick Cronin is a few games in 
a week removed from beating Villanova at home and a gutty overtime win where I thought that they were looking pretty tough. And he just says, no, our team is soft as hell. We were terrible. And it's, he, I appreciate it. He didn't go with the, well, Gonzaga is a great team. We have a lot to improve on, blah, blah, blah. He's just like, we, we suck. We're terrible. So just classic McCronin. I'm glad he's in midseason form. Yeah, I was going to say, say what you will about McCronin, the the coach or the person or whatever, but he's not going to bullshit you when it comes to this stuff, and that is one of his redeeming qualities as uh, fans of the game. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned, actually, here's another thing that we should highlight. You mentioned the other teams in the West Coast Conference, five of them undefeated, and Portland even five and one. They also have the number one team in the country. The West Coast Conference, I want to dive into this a little bit deeper. They could send some teams. Right, they can send a really healthy amount of teams to the NCAA tournament. Let's think about it. St. Mary's has beat Notre Dame. They beat Oregon. Zags, obviously, we discussed. BYU beat Oregon. Oregon's having a very difficult time with the West Coast Conference. How many teams do you see coming out of out of this conference going to the NCAA tournament? Let me remind you again: five currently undefeated, and Portland is at five and one with their loss to ASU. Right. Well, as I previously said, it's for sure three, especially if uh, St. Mary's beats Wisconsin tonight to win the Maui Invitational. Might as well just put them in as a tournament team as well. So if we're crowning teams early here uh, on theater and college hoops, we might as well say that St. Mary's is a tournament team if they win tonight. Uh, BYU is definitely trending in that direction. They're awesome. Uh, Alex Barcelo is uh, one of the emerging guards in the country, even though he's like 25 now. But in terms of his name on a national stage, he'll be there this year. Uh, I, I would anticipate, just given what we've seen so far, one of the two of Santa Clara or San Francisco maybe making a run at it uh, as well uh, for the tournament. I, I can't really speak to the bottom of the uh, West Coast Conference uh, they're probably trash as per usual, uh, but, but at least that there's five or six, like you said, good teams here. Um, the attrition of the conference and the fact that there's three for sure really good teams is definitely going to kick. They're one of those two teams is going to have too many losses to those teams to make the tournament. That's just how it goes. So I would say that this conference has four at the end of the day or at the end of the year, four teams that make the NCAA tournament. If Gonzaga was really all about being a team player or wanting the best for their conference, they would pull out of the West coast conference tournament and let someone take a bid. Okay. Maybe even St. Mary should do the same. Get, you know, get, get the other teams, uh, AQ and, and hopefully we can go from there. But yeah, I mean, the West coast conference is looking very strong. Very well. Strong. And, and Gonzaga right. is just going to bring up the whole conference RPI and, and strength yeah. of schedule like they usually do. But this year it'll actually matter because there's other good teams that were, will help that. So all you need to do if you're one of those uh, two or three, you know, fringe or bubble teams, you just got to beat Gonzaga. I know that's like, well, yeah, all you got to do is beat the best team in college basketball. But at least you have that opportunity. And that's where a lot of conferences get stuck is they don't have the opportunity for big wins, right? They're going to have multiple opportunities for big wins with Gonzaga and now multiple opportunities for big wins with St. Mary's and um, BYU as well. So, yeah, like I said, one of those one of those teams will pick off at least, you know, a win or two against those uh, upper tier teams. And that'll probably propel them to the tournament. San Francisco is also one of those teams that just seems to put a scare into the Gonzagas, into the BYUs. It'll be a late, late Friday night. 
and the Dons will will be competitive for a majority of the game. There, there's always that one game from the Dons that that they're able to at least make look good, if not pull off. So hug for the West Coast Conference, man. I'm, I'm glad that they're able to to show up and show out. Let's shift now to the Big Ten, though, Taylor. Struggle for them. If we're talking about conferences that have performed well, this is a conference that is not performed well. It's the Big Ten. Let's talk a little bit about Illinois. Kofi Coburn is back after his absurd three-game suspension. Not surprising, but still worth noting how ridiculous it is because he was selling memorabilia literally just one month, maybe even just a couple weeks before it became legal in, in Illinois. But Kofi is back. Illinois struggling just a little bit, though. They've lost uh, two games. I think they lost to Cincinnati, which might actually prove to be an all right loss. And uh, they struggled with Kansas State. They have another loss on their record. Marquette, excuse me, on the road. But struggled a little bit with Kansas State last night. And not, not a very good Kansas State team. What were your thoughts on Kofi coming back and Illinois as a whole as they've stumbled just a little bit to open the season? I'll give them a little bit of benefit of the doubt here. Um, reinserting him, Kofi, back into the lineup should be something that isn't that difficult to do, but sometimes it can be, especially with college basketball players. Uh, I know Underwood's your boy, so uh, is he I'd like to, I'd like to say this might be a result of me not going to bat for Underwood this year. Remember, I picked Ohio <laughs> State in the Big Ten. I'm a big Purdue guy, as, as is the rest of the country. Underwood had about a two-year window, and he spoiled it with that loss to Loyola Chicago. So I'm not out on Illinois. I don't think they're a bad team. I still think Underwood's a really good coach, but I've not been as vocal about him as I have in the past, and we're now seeing the results. Yeah, this could be your fault, really. Uh, Purdue is very good, though. You know, I'll give the conference a little credit. Purdue is very good. Um, I won't be, you know, I won't be too harsh on Illinois here. What they do have coming up, though, uh, and a matchup that we'll talk and a team we'll talk about is they do have one big game coming up out of conference that didn't necessarily seem that big of an out of conference game, maybe when it was scheduled a year ago, but. There'll be a good test for both Arizona and Illinois when they play each other uh, here in a week or two. Two teams, one team coming up like Arizona and another team, I guess, trying to figure it out now in Illinois. So they do have at least one uh, one more game out of conference uh, before they hop into conference play um, in the Big in the Big Ten there. I, I think they're going to be fine. They're clearly not as good as they were last year. That's that. I mean, when you lose a national player of the year candidate that kind of goes without saying, uh, I think they're going to be fine. I think that the big 10 as a, as a whole though, I can't quite put my finger on at this point. And I think part of it has to do is preseason rankings. So like Wisconsin yesterday uh, beat the 12th best team in the country, Houston, they're not ranked. Right. And they're playing for the, you know, they'll be ranked probably top 15 if they win tonight. Uh, same with Michigan State in the Battle of Atlantis, right? So maybe we have, maybe our feelings about the conference are a little strange because the teams who are ranked preseason, other than Purdue, are the ones who are losing, and the teams that aren't ranked preseason are actually ones that are having some success. Well, the only thing more useless than a college football playoff ranking show like that started three weeks ago is NCAA basketball rankings, considering who we've seen in the Final Four and who makes runs, right? UCLA was unranked all year for the most part last year. And now they're number two based on returning everyone and going to the final four, going toe to toe with Gonzaga. We've seen South Carolina go to the final four. I don't know if they were ranked all year during that run, 
We've seen Loyola Chicago, right? We've seen George Mason even all the way back. So college basketball rankings really don't mean anything throughout the season, I would say, uh, up until maybe February. And that's when you start talking about, okay, where are we going to be seated? Where are we playing our NCAA tournament games? But certainly not in the preseason. I agree. Illinois is going to be just fine. There's no point in overreacting. They do need to get Andre Curbelo going, though. He's had a slow start to the season. The condiment, condiment Curbelo needs to be a little saucier. That's all I'm asking of him. And if he can get it right, if he can be the floor general that he was supposed to coming into the year, incorporate Coburn back into the offense, you're right. They'll, they'll be just fine. Um, I am still bully, and I'm still uh, positive about Ohio State. Now, they lost to Xavier, who the Shark, that's Sharks, boys. Xavier's a good ball club. Lost to Xavier on the road, but Ohio State just beat a good Seton Hall team who, of course, beat Michigan uh, a few games before. So Ohio State, let's let's monitor that situation. They got Florida tonight, which is going to be a big game, and, I mean, hopefully they can exact some revenge on a brutal 2007 sports year where they lost both the national title games in basketball and football. So I'm still on Ohio State, but you mentioned Purdue. We got to talk about their game against Villanova. Of course, of course, college basketball has to schedule this game during an NFL Sunday, right? So uh, Purdue Nova was a, was a wonderful matchup, way more enticing and a lot more fun than the UCLA Zags game that we got. Let's talk about Zach Eady. This guy, this guy is just born in a lab. Seven four. There's no way this guy is just a regular human being. I mean. The talent Purdue really has is is something I haven't seen from them, and I don't know if ever. There's three notable players. You talk about Gonzaga's notable players. There's three notable players on Purdue, and Edie, Travion Williams, and Jaden Ivey. Jaden Ivey might be the most fun guy to watch in college basketball. I don't know if Purdue's ever had a guy that you can say that, right? They also have shooting with Stefanovic. A a little bit of Stellan Skarsgård in uh, Stefanovic. That, that's the actor from Goodwill Hunting and a few other films. But these guys just have a lot of, of talent around them. A really good coach in Matt Painter. And they showed it, of course, against Villanova, a top-tier opponent, where they got punched in the mouth and they came back. And they came back and won that game pretty handily. I mean, it was one of those games where you, you come back and sometimes a team will run out of gas and it's an absolute claw fight towards the end. They put it into overdrive and sped across the finish line. Purdue is a legitimate wagon. I mean, Purdue didn't score for almost five minutes in the second half there uh, towards the beginning of the half. Uh, and usually against a, a Jay Wright coach team and a, just a Villanova team in general, it's over then at that point. They're going to they're gonna bring a, bring it into port, sear it into port, win the game. Uh, resilience would probably be the, the way to put it. Uh, I did not think that Purdue was going to be able to come back in that game, just given their opponent. Uh, that move by Edie there that was all over the highlights was awesome. Uh, you know, I, I am a sneaky Purdue Boilermaker fan. Uh, this is a Boilermaker supporting uh, podcast here, that's for sure. And so it uh, makes me happy that they're good this year. Uh, a stat that I will always bring up about Purdue is they they have the most Big Ten titles in conference history. In, in bass in college basketball so cool. yeah. so when we talk about being surprised by how good purdue is we really shouldn't ever be surprised at how good purdue is because they 
they're one of the best teams in college basketball history, funny enough. And uh, their conference title record shows that. Um, anyway, I, I will, I'm very impressed with them this year. Uh, I think that given what we've seen from the Big Ten so far, Purdue is definitely, definitely in the driver's seat to win that conference again. Good friend of the program, Ryan Logue. I was texting with him. And take this with a grain of salt because he's a monster, monster Indiana Hoosiers fan. If you remember, his dad was like the team manager or something under Bobby Knight. Right. But he made a funny comparison, a funny food comparison to Purdue. He said they're they're like meatloaf, okay? They're always good, like you had mentioned. Meatloaf's always good, but you're never going to order it out on the town. Now, I don't know 100% what, what that means. He, I, I think he's saying like when you're on vacation, when you're out for a nice meal, you don't order – when you don't order meatloaf, I think what he's saying is they're always solid, but they're never going to be champions. And we'll see if they're able to dispel that. I think a final four is the first step. They should have gone to a final four for being brutally honest. If it wasn't for uh, Keita um, on um, Virginia hitting that ridiculous shot. I mean, that was the Carson Edwards, Ryan Klein team, but this Purdue team has a lot of those components. They got Travion Williams. Like I had mentioned, Jaden Ivy shooting with Stefanovic. Zach Eady. So I, I, I do expect them to go to the final four. I'm, I'm happy to stamp that right now. And again, not, not a wild take, not a crazy take. I know everyone's going to be like, Oh, Mr. Chalk Subramanian over here, but I am okay with declaring that this team is going to the final four. Uh, this is the year for Matt Painter. There's a storyline aspect to it also, right? There's always storylines with coaches who can't necessarily break through and we want them to break through. I think this is going to be Painter's year and and Purdue's year as well. But let's talk a little bit about Villanova. Jay Wright has accomplished way too much for us to even second-guess him here in November, so I'm not going to do that. Nobody's going to jump ship. There's no reason to panic about Villanova. But is it something to monitor that they've held good leads, decent leads against awesome te- – about as good a leads as you can – against awesome teams like UCLA and Purdue, and they weren't able to close it out. UCLA game, Colin Gillespie was completely smoked a layup to go up nine. Didn't do it. UCLA came back, obviously smoked them in overtime. Same thing almost happened here in in this Purdue game. I don't know if Gillespie blew a layup or anything, but they were in control of the game relatively late, and then the gas just ran out. And, of course, just like UCLA – they got mashed towards the end. I think they like it wasn't even okay. We got to pick ourselves up off the mat. We've got beaten down by I don't know an eight zero run. So now we're down three. Let's continue to fight back. It was okay. This is it. You know they 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 can't. I I don't want to say they can't finish games. I shouldn't say that because it is still early and they're very quality opponents. But is this something to monitor with Villanova moving forward? Yeah, they didn't. They only scored like one or two points for a six or seven minute span towards the end of the game. There, that's not. It's not what you would expect from Villanova. When I think of Villanova, I think of very strong lead guards who can handle that situation. And I'm not sure. Shark mentioned it. I think last episode. I'm not sure how big of a fan of Gillespie I am as that strong lead guard for Villanova basketball. Is he a really good college basketball player? Yes. Is he going to lead this team to a Final Four type of situation? I'm not sure that I'm going to trust him 
not trust him, but rely on him to like take over at the end of the game and make the big plays that are necessary when it comes to playing big time opponents later on in the year. That would be my question about Villanova this year is, is Gillespie as good or can he be as good late in games down the stretch as previous guards uh, that we've seen for Villanova basketball? I'll let you respond to that in one second. Let me just go back for just a second, though, and say I am not a meatloaf fan at all. So I cannot I cannot support that. Uh, I cannot support that uh, analogy as it relates to food. Let what would just... your equivalent be, though? I know you're a pizza guy. You like? Would you order pizza out on a? You, your pizza's always good, and I know you. You're a pizza guy, but would you order it out on a nice meal or something? Is pizza a good corollary? I mean, pizza's a championship-winning team in my in my estimation. <laughs> and I, and you know what? Honestly, I think Purdue's good enough to win a championship. So Purdue is a for me, they're pepperoni Purdue. I'm gonna. That's what I'm gonna refer to them from here on out. Is that's wow. how good I think they are. That's high praise for the Purdue's. I'm going to be driving through West Lafayette. Let me let them know that. All right. Wow. Pepperoni Purdue. I appreciate that. But yeah, I, I'm con- a little concerned with Villanova and them closing out games. Again, this is a qual- these are two quality opponents, but the Big East, they've gotten off to a good start. We keep talking about some of these conferences. They're very polarizing. West Coast Conference, really good. Big Ten, slow to start. Big East, on the other hand, they've had a good start to the season. And so I don't know if if a lot of these Big East teams are necessarily afraid of Nova this year. And I don't know if, they, if they're intimidated by them. Providence is off to a really good start. Seton Hall, they've been playing well. So St. John's, they have arguably the, the best tandem in the country. So the Big East, they might smell a little blood in the water. We'll see how Villanova and Jay Wright reacts to that. Let's shift back to the Big Ten, and here's another team that's actually gotten off to a slow start, and that's the Michigan Wolverines. Top five coming into the season. They already have two losses, one at the hands of Seton Hall, a Big East team, and then the other at the hands of our Arizona Wildcats. Look, everyone, we've actually done a pretty good job, I like to think, of not shoehorning Arizona, like long segments into this, and we'll keep it here pretty brief. But these guys have jumped from the unranked to the ranked after an absolute drubbing of Michigan in Las Vegas, which is essentially Arizona's second home at this point. So Arizona basketball undefeated back in the top 25 at number 17. You know what the first thing that came to my mind was, Taylor? It's pretty much the opposite of the Aiton year where they were ranked top five and then tumbled out of the top 25 altogether after a terrible Thanksgiving weekend in Atlantis, I believe it was. So this is the opposite. They've now catapulted themselves to a top 17 team. They have tons of opportunity to creep up into the top 10. They go to Thompson Bowling Arena, the Vols. That's going to be the shark. That's going to be the titch bowl right there. They got Tennessee, who's a ranked team. They got Oregon, who's struggling now, but they're going to be fine. They got USC. They got UCLA. Right? They got Illinois. They have tons of opportunities to really propel themselves. So they're just a fun team. They push the ball. They play sound defense. And I think it was more than necessary. We've we've talked about him a ton, but there needed to be a change. It, it just – you couldn't keep going back to the Sean Miller well. There's a fresh face in Tommy Lloyd. Let's give Tommy a ton of credit here. I don't, I don't know if you have the stat in front of you. I doubt you do. I want to know when was the last time a head coach, for the first time being a head coach in his entire career, beat a top 10 team? in a neutral or away arena. I cannot remember the last time a, for the first time ever, a head coach 
beating a top 10 team. That's what, that's what Tommy Lloyd did. Uh, the development of Christian Coloco is nothing short of astounding. He's been terrific. He won Pac-12 player of the week. Kirk Creesa is going to be a villain that a lot of people will hate. I kind of hate Kirk Creesa. Like, I hate, love him. Um, but I can appreciate as an opponent, you would hate him. He's this little white kid with a headband who fist pumps. He's going to be a thorn in a lot of people's sides. These were some of the takeaways for me. And I think the overarching theme, I don't dread Arizona basketball tip-offs anymore. That's not me to say, I want you to feel bad for me. I don't need you to have pity for me because I know there's a lot of programs that have it way worse than Arizona. I get that. But the last few years, it's just been, oh God, we're probably going to finish 19 and 10 or something along those lines. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be a, a grueling match. I don't know what level of consistency I'm going to get, what's going to happen in the first eight minutes or so of the game. It's just a lot more fun to watch now. Yeah, it's an, it is a hundred percent enjoyable. Here's what I I think will be the is the biggest difference between uh, Sean and Tommy Lloyd at this point, and that is um, you don't see the players uh, scared to take a shot or make a play or make a mistake. Uh, I think there are some good parts about that, and there are some bad parts about that, and it all depends on who you recruited, right? When we talk about teams like the Rondé Hollis, Jefferson, Aaron Gordon, Nick Johnson, TJ McConnell teams that were really good, those teams were gritty. They wanted to be yelled at, so to speak, right? Like they were a tough, tough team. As we, as Arizona basketball moved on, we recruited players who did not necessarily fit that mold. And I'm not saying it's their fault, the players' fault by any means. Um, it's just nice to see now that, you know, Pella Larson takes a horrifically bad three. Uh, when we're trying to run the clock down late in the game. It was actually great to see Tommy Lloyd. I hadn't seen Tommy Lloyd yell at anybody yet. So that was nice to see that he does have that kind of uh, gritty side as well that he can pull out. But Pell Larson stayed in the game after the timeout afterwards as well, despite the fact that he made the mistake. So I kind of like the uh, the mindset of playing through the mistake rather than you make a mistake and you're coming out for five minutes. So I think we have to uh, you know, give Sean Miller, I guess, a little credit uh, in terms of the roster that he built here. But what does seem funny is that Tommy Lloyd seems to be better at coaching Sean Miller's players than Sean Miller was. I think that's kind of a funny a note of all of this because this team has just looked so much more connected and, and together uh, than the Sean Miller teams did. Now, how that will play out going forward, I'm, I'm not sure. I did see a quote this week that uh, Tommy Lloyd, when he was uh, getting Kirk Creesa or trying to recruit Kirk Creesa to, to stay at U of A, uh, he said, I'm the most European coach in American college basketball or something to that degree. And so that'll be super interesting to monitor as we go on because we know Gonzaga has had uh, unlimited amount of success going uh, kind of that Euro route or, or the Euro style of play. Uh, so that'll be interesting to monitor over the next couple of years. I tell you what, I will be absolutely insufferable if we beat UCLA this year absolutely insufferable i can i can tell you that uh arizona schedule as you mentioned really is a good opportunity to pick up some 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 good wins and it's almost nice that we're not playing like the gonzagas and whatnot of the world because we probably would get smoked but we're playing good enough opponents that we can win but if we lose, it's not looked at as a bad loss. And if we win, it's looked at as a good win. It's it, The schedule actually works out really well for year one under Tommy Lloyd, where we already got, quote unquote, the, 
the highest ranked matchup of the out of conference uh, season out of, you know, out of the way. Michigan does not impress me at all, by the way. Let's, let's throw that out there. I'm even surprised that they stayed in the top 25. The, the, losing at home to Seton Hall and then the losing. Seton Hall impresses me though. Well, I know, but you can't lose at home mm. to an unranked team and then get smoked by 20 to an unranked team and then hang out in the rankings still. Uh, and it's even dumber, let me just say, that Seton Hall is ranked behind Michigan still. That I agree with. A team that they just beat, not at a neutral site, in Ann Arbor. So that is that's why, I, I, as much as we talk about rankings, like you just said, they're the dumbest fucking things in the world. But, yeah, not impressed with Michigan at all. So maybe this, this Arizona win probably in, in two months probably doesn't look as good as it does now. But, yes, extremely excited about Tommy Lloyd. Couldn't be happier with uh, – with, how the program looks and Christian Coloco looks like a guy who was a serviceable, serviceable big in college basketball to like a packed all pack 12 looking player and uh, like a all American type of, I mean, he really looks that good. I, I know he's not going to be, but he really looks that good. It's a crazy how much he's progressed in the last 12 to 18 months. There's always guys where, they'll show the before and after or when they arrived on campus, their bodies versus where they're at now. Christian Coloco is a wonderful example of the development and the strength uh, that he's and the, and the weight that he's really put on. I think when I mentioned how much fun these guys are, it was within the first couple of possessions, Christian Coloco swats Hunter Dickinson go, leads out into transition for an alley-oop. That was one of the most fun plays I've witnessed Arizona have in a couple of years. And it was, it was all because of, or it was all started by Coloco. A few news and notes, or notes, I should say, on Tommy Lloyd and the Sean Miller transition. I can appreciate the the roster point. Obviously, I mean, Tommy inherited the roster. I agree with that. But it is important. I'm glad you did specify, and I think it needs hammering home, that he he is coaching them to a top 10 win. This was not going to happen last year. And I think we need to be careful just as I'm not saying we're media, but I've seen it a lot. Dick Vitale said it. I think another pundit said it that Sean Miller deserves a ton of credit for, you know, leaving. I think it was Seth Davis. He said, leaving Tommy Lloyd, all of this talent. And it's like, yeah, I suppose they're talented, but they're not as talented as some of the, you know, some of the other teams in, in the country. And how does Tommy Lloyd seemingly at this point, still very early, very preliminary, but Tommy has them playing so much freer and with a ton more cohesion um, than some of the other guys. And they, it's not like they don't have a lot of transfers. Okay. They have Justin Kyer coming in. They have Kim Aiken coming in. They have Pella Larson coming in. Texas has these transfers as well. I've, I've been saying that it's not easy to within your first year and in, implement an entirely new system, become successful with new faces and, and fresh ideas. And that's what Tommy's done thus far. Now, to your point about the schedule, I agree wholeheartedly, and it's ripe for the taking. Illinois has struggled a little bit. They're there for the taking, even though it's on the road. That's going to be a difficult matchup. Oregon, we've seen them. They're there, and they haven't haven't beaten Oregon since NOM, man. You mentioned UCLA. I just want to beat Oregon for the first time in I don't know how, how damn long, okay? So UCLA, they're a very tough team, but... They can they can win some of these games. I don't expect them to go perfect 
in these games. I don't expect them to catapult to a top five team because there's a lot of work that needs to be done. But the future is certainly bright based on what we've seen thus far. And I think the biggest thing for me is their handling business. I don't expect them to blow every single team out. I don't expect them to smoke uh, the likes of Michigan every single game. But in the last few years, it seemed as if this team under four timeout, under eight timeout against like UT Rio, Rio Grand Valley or whatever would be tied. Now they're up eight to 10 points right out of the gate. And I think that matters. Get the ball rolling. It's got to be a lot of fun seeing them progress. Yeah, I, I was, I was, you know, reading previous to the year that there was some debate if Arizona was going to be a tournament team or not. I thought they were, I thought they were going to compete for like a top three finish in the PAC 12, not, not first. And I still don't think they're going to win the PAC 12 or anything like that. This is still a team that's going to lose probably six or seven games this year. Don't get me wrong with my excitement about it, but I don't think there's a lot of debate left if this team is going to be a tournament team. And I know we're only five games into the year. I, I get that we're putting cart way before horse here, but that was really one of the things that one of the biggest questions about this team leading into the year. Uh, I think that question is gone for me at this point, unless something drastically changes. Um, we go on the road and get blown out twice by Illinois or Tennessee, something like that. But uh, you know, for me, from what I've seen already this year, I think it's, you know, easily a top eight seed now is what this team looks like. Uh, definitely not looking like the bubble team that we all thought they were going to. Uh, and I don't think that's being a homer. I think a homer would be like, Oh yeah. Like we've seen a, like all of our annoying Arizona Twitter basketball folks is, you know, Oh, we're going to compete for the PAC 12 title now and all this bullshit. Like, no, that's not going to happen. Don't, don't get me wrong. That's just not in my opinion, not going to happen. I don't think, I think saying this team is a surefire tournament team though. I don't think that's going above and beyond or being a homer. Yeah, I'm just going to approach it cautiously. Been hurt by this team. But I can. you're right. I mean, in my heart of hearts, I do agree with you. I think they are going to be a tournament team. But I'm just waiting for something catastrophic to happen. Knock on wood, it does not. But that's Arizona basketball. Let's move on now to a few segments. We'll finish it up here. Actually, a quick feedback note from great listener, great follower, Chris Alfin. He's been on the program before, Penn State superfan, diehard. He went to a UMass Penn State basketball game. I don't know if it gets more diehard than that. But he had a little bit of feedback for us, and I think we should entertain this idea. So we have theater in blank every single time I tweet that out when it's a one-possession game under two minutes. He He's suggesting theater in the spread, theater in gambling, whatever it is. Now, I don't know exactly what that would entail. We would have to have some ground rules, and it's a lot of work. But essentially the premise is if it's a one-possession game within the spread under two minutes, there's theater there. So that's just going to be an absurd amount of effort. Let me just throw that out there because that means you would probably say 85% of the games in the country played on a night are within a possession or two of the spread uh almost the whole game um what if we did top 25 and i don't know i might have have to outsource that to you or the shark yeah i was gonna i was gonna say this is gonna take a lot of of thumb effort a lot of twitter fingers even more so than than you have going now uh that that's the amazing part is now is you don't don't have a life at this point because you're just tweeting out every college basketball game if you have to start doing that against the spread 
Like, I think it's a great idea. Don't get me wrong. But we're kind of a real mom and pop shop we got right now. (laughs) You know, we don't have a social media team here. So um, being able to do that would be great. Uh, I'm not sure if there's another Twitter site or Twitter handle that does that. Um, Not that we would want to necessarily outsource anybody. But uh, it's a great idea. Hopefully we can figure out a way to make it work. But I think we definitely need to open this up to... um, Twitter users to say, and our followers to say, how interested are you in this? And are you interested in just the top 25 games? Uh, I think if you look at the normal better, like I every day I'm betting on like nickel state versus like fucking Jacksonville, East West coast tech, you know? So like I'm a degenerate in that manner. Right. But most people are just betting on the games that you can see on your TV. So maybe that would be a good starting point. Well, I appreciate the feedback from you and also from Alfin yet again. It is not lost on me that some may question whether or not I have a life, a social life, a job. Uh, Do I leave the couch? Do I get outside and get some fresh air? That's what Shark asked. It's not lost on me. The Shark actually got a text from one of his friends. He says, honest question, Shark. Do the guys who run the theater Twitter have jobs slash significant others slash obligations? (laughs) I'm truly blown away by the activity on days like Monday. And Shark obviously tells him, hey, it's one kid, got a got a job in Chicago, getting married in April. Of course, that's me. He says, wow, God bless him. How the hell does he watch so much? I'm not going to reveal the secret sauce. Just know I am able to balance this stuff. Okay. But again, it is not lost on me the fact that this would prompt questions such as jobs slash significant others slash obligations slash just a general life. You know, I can do a better job at uh, assisting. I will tell you that, especially as the games shift uh, towards the West Coast uh, later in the evening. That's for sure. Um, we talked about that Michigan UNLV game. Luckily, there wasn't a lot of theater uh, by the time that game was over, but that was literally like 3 a.m. Your, t- your time when that game finished up. I can't. Ex- we can't expect you to be covering that. So I could do a better job at being the West Coast uh, anchor of this program. It's not a knock or anything. I promise. I just wanted to read that because it was a hysterical text. Sometimes you just got to be able to make fun of yourself. I will say, though, that tonight Santa Clara and Fresno State tips off at 1 a.m. Eastern time. And that's a six point spread. So I'm like, on it. I'm on. I'll take it. I'll take it. I'm saying, on it sometimes I look at in like Texas A&M, Notre Dame. That's a four point spread. Sometimes I look at these late games and it's like, OK. Like Michigan UNLV. Michigan should handle UNLV. I don't think right. there's going to be theater there. These guys, man, there might be. So right. we'll, we'll we'll workshop that. I think this is, like you said, mom and pop shop. All right, Taylor, let's go ahead and round this out now with some segments. I'm going to hit you with your old as fuck. Vin Baker Jr. Vin Baker Jr. plays for University of Wisconsin at Milwaukee. His dad, of course, Vin Baker, had some good years with the Milwaukee Bucks. Um Incredible trajectory for Vin Baker. Career trajectory, I should say. Very much resembles a roller coaster. A lot of highs in in the NBA. He fell on some hard times. Was a Starbucks manager, as a matter of fact. And now an NBA champion with the Milwaukee Bucks. He's on the coaching staff there for the Bucks and, and Budenholzer. But yeah, Vin Baker Jr., man, that's how you know. You're old as fuck. I remember being uh, in courtesy of the shark being 
post game with the Celtics players and Vin Baker signing autographs. It was like him, Ricky Davis. Those were the terrible Celtics, as a matter of fact. But Vin Baker Jr. is now playing college ball. Crazy. I remember Vin Baker on the Sonics back in the day. That's where I remember him the most. Uh, that is crazy, though. This is a wonderful segment that we've come up with, by the way. It, it, really one of my favorites, uh, I would say, at this point. It's really incredible that we're not that old, yet we are, I guess, now, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah, bones are creaking. Uh, you got any hugs, T? It is Thanksgiving. It's time to give thanks, right? I do. It's actually for uh, college basketball fans in Chicago who were unable to watch the Villanova Purdue game this last week because it was on uh, ABC and there's supposed to be like X amount of hours of educational TV on uh, per weekend. And yeah, so on on a Sunday morning is when you traditionally see uh, like educational TV. So they had reruns of a wildlife uh, program that was on instead of the Purdue Villanova game in Chicago. Purdue's like two hours away. I, I mean, so that's uh, hug for hug for college basketball fans uh, that were in Chicago trying to watch on ABC at the time uh, because not only was every other channel, uh, you know, blown up by NFL, which is all fine, you know, all fine and dandy that Sunday, right? But uh, yeah, a wildlife program was on instead of the Purdue Villanova game. Good God. That's rough. That's rough. Hey, your mom's a teacher, though. I'm sure she appreciated that. What do we say? Shout out. Hey, all the teachers teaching, educating the youth of America. That's right. My hug is for Cincinnati and Wes Miller. I think it's no secret that I am a huge Southwest Ohio guy at this point. Okay. I'm currently in Warren County. Whether you want to be or not. (laughs) What's that? Whether you want to be or not, you are. You want to be. I do. I'm okay with being labeled as such. I'm a South. Here's here's my label: Southwest Ohio guy with no obligations, no life, no job, who only tweets about like southeastern state or whatever it is. Okay, so that's that's my mo. That's my label. That's who I am. But Cincinnati and West Miller, hug for them. They've had a terrific start to the season. West Miller is proving to be a home run hire. There's a lot of new coaches in the landscape of college basketball. West Miller might be atop the best. And the reason I say that is because Cincinnati was in a terrible position. They just hired John Brandon, I think his name was. He was in some sort of weird investigation. I don't think it was anything illegal, but I think he he was talking shit about one of his players. They they had just parted, or not parted ways, but Mick Cronin leaves for UCLA, a guy who was a cornerstone staple of Cincinnati and the community. John Brandon comes in and it just didn't work after a year, year and a half. So it's tough. That that type of stuff can torpedo a good program like Cincinnati. That stuff can really put you under for a lot of years. They seem to have hit a home run higher with Wes Miller, who has resuscitated the program in very short order. They pushed Arkansas last night to the brink. I thought they were going to beat the Razorbacks. They pushed them to the brink. They beat Illinois. Cincy and Xavier is going to be a ton of fun. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that rivalry yet again. So hat tip to Cincinnati, hat tip to West Miller. We got to come up with a nickname since you're just such a big Rust Belt guy now. Uh, somehow we can, you know, kind of get that into your name somewhere. Maybe a Twitter user will will help us out there. But you're a big Rust Belt guy. I think that's we got to lean into that somehow. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm just saying. Before we before we roll here, uh, Duke and Zaga, who are you taking? I, I thought it was in Cameron, so I was going to take Duke, but I'm going to take Gonzaga. 
Yeah, I think Gonzaga, I think they cover as well. I think we see it? it's like five. I think we're going to see not not a 25-point win, but I think we'll see a, uh, a pretty comfortable like 12-ish point win by, by Gonzaga. Bancaro and Chet. Yeah, beautiful. beautiful. Load, baby. Hey, thank you so much again for listening. That's what we're thankful for. Have a terrific, wonderful, impeccable, beautiful Thanksgiving with your friends and family. We'll catch you next week here on Theater and College Hoops. Thank you.